video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch. Hello, you my name is Justin McClure. I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all of this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs. And it's an exciting week this week. <laughs> so much stuff to talk about. Okay, so yeah, so it's a very uh, short week. Is yeah, what you should if you read. couldn't tell, we were being sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't tell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, some people just read my excitement as genuine excitement when I'm just being sarcastic. Oh, do they? when you're like yeah that's a good movie you should buy that they're like oh, okay i will buy this <laughs> oh yeah i know i do that all the time yeah that was great do you ever hard sell somebody on something that you're like this is terrible if they show like a little interest <laughs> but you don't lie you're like oh i heard this part was really good very interesting you know what i just usually don't say anything if i know you know if somebody genuinely asks me what do you think about this i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna say i'm gonna be brutally honest but if somebody's bringing up a pile of movies that are absolute crap and you know are pretty excited about them i'm not gonna say anything you're like dropping truth bombs on them (laughs) you're like oh whoa that sucks have you ever like made somebody put something back on the shelf after they were about to go and buy it once or twice but only because they asked though that's the thing people only because they you wouldn't be like pu that's yeah no some people bring up things they're like oh i'm gonna get this do you have you seen this is it good and i'll like i'll honestly say no, it's not good or something. And then they'll change their mind. But like, I don't, I just always thought that was kind of the worst thing. Like if you're going up to like buy a movie or something and you're like excited about it and the cashier is just like one of those typical like record or video store clerks, like jaded clerks that are like, yeah, that's garbage. Why are you buying that? I don't think anyone has ever said that to me. I would be so embarrassed. I'd be like, oh, sorry. Why am I buying this? (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know if that's ever necessarily happened to me either, but I feel like I've heard about that happen to a lot of people I know, and it's just like, it just grinds my gears. Oh, yeah, because that really grinds your gears, right, Mark? (laughs) Totally grinds my gears. (laughs) The best is when people come up and are like, recommend me something, and I'm like, oh, what do you like? They're like, I like everything. When I worked at Indigo, <laughs> that happened all the time. And I will never forget, I like recommended so many things. I'm like, what have you read? She's like, I've pretty much read everything. And she left with like the letters of C.S. Lewis. She only like looked at the Catholic books. I'm like, why won't you just tell me that's what you want? Oh, I know. I hate that. I really hate. There's nothing more that I hate than general recommendations. And especially like you said, yeah, when people come up and I always try and say, what kind of movies do you like? Because... That's the only way you're going to get to a recommendation. And then they always go, oh, good movies. Give me five movies that you've watched recently and that you like. like yeah. And then I can pick one based on that. Doesn't need to be your favorite movies. Like, because they're like, oh, what's my favorite? It's like, <laughs> I don't know who you are. It doesn't matter. I know, right? People will also come in and say, what's the one movie you would recommend? It's like, okay, but I need to know what you like. I fi- the thing I find with recommendations, you know, I, I would truly love giving recommendations to people who actually want to take a recommendation. and But they don't. They want something very specific. Most of the people who want recommendations really just want you to suggest something that they actually already know about and have already or have just kind of forgot and have been like, oh, yeah, I know about that. I, you know, I'll get that or I've already seen that or so they don't actually want a recommendation of something they've never heard of before. If it was good, I would have probably heard about it by exactly. now. So I don't want to take your recommendation. Yeah, the amount of recommendations I've given to people that are just met with like stone face silence and like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, they're not even going to go like check out the cover art or anything. They just like don't care automatically. It's like 99%. 99%. So please, please, people out there, if you're actually... If you want a recommendation, please actually be open to recommendations. What kind of reality television do you like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can give reality TV recommendations like no tomorrow. You don't have any in store, though. No, they don't put reality TV on DVD anymore. I remember when I first moved to Toronto, I had a roommate who all he watched was Friends and (laughs) The Simple Life. On endless repeat. He had all the DVDs that would be strewn all over the living room. That is a person with taste right there. Just on that reality TV note, actually, it just reminds me that a customer of ours recently ordered uh, Love and Hip Hop, which is a like a series about, you know, love and hip hop, basically. I don't know. It's like an MTV series. It's pretty popular. And they go for like $60 a pop, like seasons of these two. <laughs> so if reality TV is on DVD, it ain't coming cheap, that's for sure. I mean, reality TV show is a, a um, entertainment of the elite. So I understand where it that is. comes from. It is. 
Just get Hey You People. It is a very good streaming service for reality TV. What? Do you have to pay every month? Yeah, it's like Netflix, but for reality Wait, TV. Wait, do you actually subscribe to that? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's like it's like eight to ten bucks a month. It's got all the real housewives that I need. Every single real housewife is on there. So moving on to stuff that's come in this week, we got cult movies, House of Wax, the famous 3D <laughs> one with Vincent Price, Andre de Toth. Is this one archives released in 3D? Yeah, it is. And this one's a bit of a cheat, I have to admit, because House of Wax, this has been on Blu-ray before. Um, it was available as a really nice Blu-ray just from Warner, before Warner Archive was a thing. Uh, it had like a nice lenticular cover to really emphasize the 3D-ness of it. And then it just went out of print after a few years. And now it's just come out on kind of like a standard Warner Archive disc. It has all the same features. It's got both 2D and 3D options. I believe it also comes with uh, the Mystery of the Wax Museum as well, which got an, an which got an individual release from Warner Archive recently, but was also included on the original Blu-ray of this. Wait, so it comes to the Mystery of the Wax Museum, which came out like three, four weeks ago on Blu-ray? I know, I know. But I don't know if it's the four, because the big deal about Mystery of the Wax Museum was it was like a brand new master from like the original film. They were really like touting that. And I'm not sure if... I doubt it's the same copy. They probably just re authored the same yeah disc. that's what i think so it's you know it's just been out of print for a while but this is a movie that sold really well for us obviously when it was first out on blu-ray even people that don't have 3d blu-ray players were all over this and people have been waiting for it to come back into print and already we've sold like a bunch of them even though this has really already been out before so we also have shadow play being released by scorpion uh did you watch this one uh, because it feels like one no, that you would watch kind of intrigued you know with these 80s horror movies lately especially when they're obscure like this i just feel like i read the plot and i'm like i just feel like this is gonna be boring yeah it's directed by a woman named susan shadburn uh it stars d wallace and cloris right it's got kind of an interesting plot a playwright who lost her fiance to suicide is haunted by his spirit while staying on a remote island with his mother (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot of potential for like trashy uh guilty pleasure uh melodrama there uh i just saw a lot of reviews saying it was really boring so i didn't really check it out and, you know, with these Scorpion releases lately, we just always say this. They're just scraping the bottom of the barrel for things they can find. So Scorpion, oh, it even says here an erotic supernatural thriller because nothing wow. says erotic like D. Wallace. <laughs> They're affiliated with Kino at this point, right? Because yeah. they've had like one or two releases every week. So Kino distributes their stuff now as well as they also distribute for Code Red and stuff like that. And Dark for Forces. For their general stuff. No, Dark Force is actually different, a uh, different supplier for them. But... But, um, but Scorpion still has their exclusive releases, which we've talked about before. The stuff that goes on RoninFlix.com. That's right. The stuff that everybody wants. So basically, the Scorpion, the stuff that Scorpion puts out that actually is good, we can't get in here. The only stuff we can get is like <laughs> the bottom of the barrel stuff that they just like let Kino distribute on their behalf. And we have Doctor Who season three, the Tom Baker season. Uh, people are probably buying this up, right, Mark? I actually kind of oh, want to yeah. get into this because if I was going to get into Doctor Who, he's one of the most famous ones. He is. Hands down, people love Tom Baker. His sets sell the best out of any of these guys. And now it's all collected in one set as opposed to uh, three episodes for $65. I know. I just wish they would put out like a bigger set of all the Tom Baker stuff, though. Like, why are they doing it so piecemeal? And like, here's a season well, here, this one is season, season three. There. But they previously released a season seven, I believe, of his stuff. Of Tom Baker? He was Doctor Who for that long? I don't know anything about Doctor Who. Unless it was like they're doing it season by season and it was like a different guy each season. Again, I I don't know anything about Doctor Who. I've never seen a single episode. So I'm sure all the Doctor Who heads out there are like cursing my name right now. I looked online very briefly to see if I could find more information. And it was so confusing because like... The new ones is also like series one. And so like I couldn't find yeah. like what, what's the complete one. Oh, yeah. Because it's like Doctor Who, Peter Davidson, complete first season. Doctor Who, Tom Baker, complete season seven. Like you said, it's like what? where's season two, three, four, five, six. Where, where are the other ones? I don't know. That's the thing. And then they've released like, yeah, Sylvester McCoy here and there. And it's like, I don't know. I don't understand the numbers. It's just confusing to me. But you know what? Every time one of these comes out, they sell well. And especially with Tom Baker, his stuff 
flies off the shelf. So even these collectors who've bought all these individual episodes on DVD want the set together on Blu-ray. We also have Wolf being put out by Indicator, the Mike Nichols film starring Jack Nicholson where he turns into a werewolf. This film is bad. I don't even think it's fun bad. <laughs> is this cult or classic? I don't know. What kind of movie is this? I mean, I've seen people try to sell it as like a camp title, but like I've seen it. It's just boring. Like Mike Nichols in near the end of his career, he just didn't care anymore. <laughs> He's phoning it in. And this is like Rick Baker werewolf makeup too. It's not even goofy fun, especially at the $52 price at the Indicator Blu-ray. Well, I know, it's a pricey one. You know, Indicator, sometimes they get it right bang on with their releases, and then sometimes they put out something like Wolf. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's loaded It's loaded with features. So, yeah, if you're into Wolf, like, this is the definitive release. But I've never seen this, and I kind of always held off because of exactly what you're saying. I just thought it, it just sounded kind of boring to I me. mean, a friend tried to sell it to me as, like, at the end... Jack Nicholson and James Spader, who's also a werewolf, are like flying on wire work in a library as Anthony Hopkins watches on. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds great. Then you see it in the movie and you're like, eh, it's not that good. Just, yeah. It's just there. I guess Mike Nichols and horror just don't go together that well. <laughs> I'm a fan of only one of those 90s Universal Monster reboots, and that's Frank Kenneth Bragnoth Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, I'm not. That movie's terrible as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the classic sections, we have The Lost Honor of Katharina Blum, which is a film directed by Volker Schnordoff and Margrethe von Trotta. I think it's Marga Margareta von Trotta, actually. <laughs> uh, and I know that Volker directed The Tin Drum, and I'm not familiar with any of the films that she directed. Yeah, Margareta von Trotta, not that I'm an expert or anything. I've only seen one or two of her films, but she is definitely one of the unheralded female directors of kind of the... of. 60s, 70s German cinema. I mean, she works right up until today, even still making films. Um, and she, but she's a director that, while people like her films a lot, she's always been really well acclaimed. She's big on the international festival circuit. Her movies don't really get uh, much video release over here. There's like tons of her movies that just aren't available in any form past like VHS. So, or there were like shoddy DVDs that initially came out that are just out of print. It's hard for fan. I know we get asked about films of hers all the time and we just don't have much to offer, but this is one that's definitely one of the bigger ones. Maybe it's because just she directed it with Volker, Volker Schlondorf. Uh, I think it's Volker Schlondorf. Volker Schlondorf? Is that... <laughs> I don't know. I don't that's think great. I've ever seen a movie of his, actually. I've never seen the Tim uh, So, yeah, Criterion's putting out. Good for yeah. Criterion. I like it when they get into, like, the art house scene, which is what you would think they would do more often, but they don't really do that anymore no and if they do it sometimes comes a little bit half-hearted yeah although yeah this is one that was on dvd two years ago so it's really just a blu-ray upgrade and that's is it. it those sons of a gun oh yeah this has been on dvd from them for years yeah all they do is big box sets now to sucker people in the exactly right <laughs> betting hundreds of dollars we also have Toto the Hero, released by Arrow. This is one that I would always see the title. I'm like, I don't even know what this is yeah, about. Yeah, this has been long. another film that's been long, long unavailable, but it was a huge deal when it came out in the early 90s. Uh, it's French coming-of-age film from Jaco von Van Dormeil. This is going to be, this is the episode where we mangle everybody's name. Yeah, it's all uh, triple name people. Yeah, and he's another director who's big in France. He's done a lot of, he's big for like magic realist stuff, especially with this. This is a, like a coming of age magic realist story. You know story. what, I guess I always confuse this with like Leopold yeah, or Leonor or whatever Leo it is, the Quebec Leo, film. Yeah, it's like that. I feel like it, it appeals to the same kind. It's just, you know, about a young boy and his fanciful adventures growing up. I don't know. Coming of age movies aren't necessarily my thing, but I don't know. I've always heard a lot about this director. I saw one of his more recent films at TIFF years ago, uh, Mr. Nobody, which starred uh, Jared Leto. And, oh, he directed uh, Mr. Nobody? He directed Mr. Oof. Nobody, which I actually the liked at the time. I know, I know. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I haven't seen it since I saw it at TIFF, but I, I quite liked it, actually, at the time. I thought it was ambitious. I didn't think it totally worked, but I thought it was, like, ambitious. And I, I liked, I just like the ambition behind it, and I feel like this is, that's just kind of his thing. He makes really ambitious kind of human dramas that border on fantasy or sci-fi or other genres or stuff but this i believe is probably his most famous film and it's just been unavailable for 
basically ever until Arrow finally picked it up. You'd think Criterion would have gotten on this at Criterion some point. Criterion only but... wants to do catalog titles now. Yeah, they're only doing box sets and catalog titles. <laughs> yep. As we have said. <laughs> uh, so Arrow stepping back up in the ring. Criterion just doesn't want to have that fight, <laughs> which I, mm-hmm. understandable. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Hyenas is being released. I thought this one had already been released by Criterion in their like World Cinema Box set, but I was confusing it with the director's first film, Tuki Buki. Yes, which was part of the Martin Scorsese World Cinema Project, the first uh, series. Uh, but this one, yeah, was basically it's been on DVD before, but it's got finally getting a Blu-ray upgrade from the uh, Metrograph line. Um, that Kino also distributes because Kino distributes everything, every single line. Kino is the Disney Kino. of Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. It's like even if it's a different label, it's got like it still has Kino's imprint on there somewhere. So <laughs> yeah. Arrow Kino, Criterion Kino. What is the subsidiary of? Like, what is the parent company of Kino? I don't know. Actually, is Kino just Disney? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what? That's where this is all going. Disney just owns Kino. <laughs> I'm just looking now. Kino International, created in 1977. Yeah, I think yeah, they're just like the... their own company. No, they're right? independent, they're it looks independent like. They're an independent label, yeah. And now they've just gobbled up like all these other labels like Scorpion, like Code Red, like Metrograph here. Like all these other labels they distribute on behalf of. So they just kind of... They've gone after everything. They've got their own cottage industry of, like, film history. A big thing on this website, oh, because it's Kino International I'm looking at, is that the uh, distribution partnership with the preschool band The Wiggles. <laughs> yes. You know what? They all Every month I get a new Wiggles DVD come up on my Kino list. I'm like, you do I not, do, do, I do. You? I mean, we don't order them in because nobody's buying The Wiggles from us, but... You know, if people want Wiggles, you know, Kino distributes Maybe them. Maybe that's where the real money is. It's like a Wiggles empire, and they're just like, you know, they're um, cleaning the money through all these other releases. Yo, the Wiggles are huge. I've seen video. There are shows that they put on, screaming kids and parents. Everybody's into the Wiggles these and days. And they're so old, they're aren't they? They're like old. in their 70s. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're pretty old, yeah. Kino, if you're listening, and we always make a plea to you every <laughs> week, you should start a Bay Street video um uh, a Blu-ray line. Like, speaking of recommendations, we could be like, what does Bay Street Video recommend? You know, we'll pick reality television, <laughs> public domain yeah. style titles. We'll put them out into the world. I mean, it's so easy. You guys use the same design for all right? of your releases. Same spine, same back. There's no image on the disc either. It's just black with the title. Oh, man, please, Kino, give us, give Justin and I jobs. Like, we, imagine you and me picking, acquiring titles for the Kino catalog. It would be. Uh, you know what our first one would a be? A dream come true. And they wouldn't even have to spend any money on it. Aspen Extreme. <laughs> They already have Aspen Extreme. You want another edition? Yeah, but we're going to do like a Kino Selects line of Aspen Extreme. Put it in the Kino Classics right next to all those German, you know, silent Bay films. Street Video Presents, just like the Metrograph. Hey, the yeah. Metrograph, New York establishment, what, it opened three years ago? Bay Street Video's been open for like 40 years. Yeah, Kino, come on, play to your Canadian market a little bit, you know. Oh yeah, people, these are people, Canadian exclusives, only in Canada. We're big stars in Canada, Kino, huge stars. Yeah, I have a podcast that has almost <laughs> 1,500 hits a week. Wait, I have two podcasts, yeah. almost 4,000, wait, plus Bay Street, uh, 4,200 listeners a week. Look at that, yeah. get in touch with Paul Gross, Kino, because we know they have that hookup. The Paul Gross, Paul Gross will collection. vouch for us, he'll vouch for us. Wait, wasn't there another Paul Gross movie we were making fun of that, like, Kino put out that he started? Uh, it wasn't Aspen Extreme. I make fun of Paul Gross so much, it's just really hard to remember, uh, the specifics, but, Getting uh, back to Hyenas, yeah, so, very oh, good yeah, movie. Hyenas. Uh, so we got confused because of Hyena Road, the classic right. Paul Gross movie. yeah, yeah. So we also have a bigger splash being re- released by Metrograph Kino. Man, so many Metrograph Kino releases, and it's this week's Blind Bar! Blind Bar! Oh! <laughs> We're jumping back into the Kino pool via Metrograph this week. And you know yeah, what? Yeah, we're getting I, classy, though. Yeah, I really like this Metrograph line just right off the top, even though it's just a subsidiary of Kino. It's a way for them to, like, release, which they don't do too often, is, like, art films, right? And to get them out. But, like, real DIY stuff. Like, I mean, Hyenas is, I guess, a little bit. But even Hyenas is pretty, like, DIY-type cinema. But they also put out Duet for Cannibals, which we were talking about last week. They put out uh, Downtown 81 with Basquiat a few months Again, ago. It's you know, DIY with people like Susan yeah, Sontag. <laughs> I guess that's not DIY. <laughs> but there's, like, a rough kind of, like, 
esoteric independent art film kind of yeah, spirit that would play them. in galleries exactly or at the metrograph i guess <laughs> have you ever been to the metrograph never always wanted to go though i know yeah. you've never left toronto <laughs> i never i went to new york city for three days once so i didn't Did get you? a chance yeah i've been in new york uh, my film uh played at a film festival at the it did I... lincoln forum i remember yeah. that's cool that's cool. Yeah, sorry i just want to rub it in your face jeez wow big shot over here big shot yeah i made no money off of that but uh <laughs> impossible horror still available at goldenvideo.com and a base street video we still have copies <laughs> <laughs> yeah please there's a bargain pin, please but... please buy one <laughs> uh so a bigger splash not to be confused with the uh, film of the same title that came out a few years uh, ago from the director of Suspiria. Yes, this, but that film, that uh, Luca Guadagnino's film was, uh, that title was taken from the David Hockney painting, A Bigger Splash, which is what this A Bigger Splash is and about. And it was a remake, but of an Alain Delon film called uh, The Pool. La Piscine, yes, which is also a very good film, uh, if you haven't seen that. But this A Bigger Splash is a very 70s sort of documentary fiction hybrid about David Hockney, who is basically the British Andy Warhol. Like, he base, he looks exactly like Andy Warhol, but the British version. Um, obviously, David Hockney is huge. I, I mean, I didn't... I only know him mostly by name and a few of his photos, but he was a really big person in the um, pop art movement of the 60s. You would know his art, dear listener, if you've ever watched BoJack Horseman, and there's a parody of his painting of the guy swimming underwater, but it's replaced by BoJack in BoJack Horseman. Oh, nice. (laughs) It's on his wall. It's like very prominently featured. Right. Well, that painting is a huge part of this and actually features on the cover, I guess, of this Blu-ray coming out, um, which I think is called, what is it? Portrait of two men one in a pool or something like that I, w- I was trying to do all my david hockney research before this um but yeah what is this film justin well you this was... movie is essentially a document of a dissolution of a relationship and i didn't get too much information of how it was shot but it's essentially like a kitchen sink drama that features the real people but in like fictionalized ways told cinematically yeah so you have like two people having a conversation in a car and it'll be like two shot, like you would see in a movie, and you'll see shots of either of them, or there'll be like tracking shots and things like that, but with the real people. So yeah, like you said, everybody kind of plays versions of themselves, and it's, I guess, kind of, there's not much of a plot to it, but I guess the main thrust of the plot is the idea that David Hockney, after this dissolution of this relationship that he had, uh, the real relationship that he had to a gentleman who I can't remember the name of right now, even though I just watched Peter's, this. Uh, Peter Schlesinger. Yes, Peter Schlesinger. So after this dissolution of this relationship, he finds himself unable to paint. And that just really worries all of his friends and like agents and art gallery investors and everybody. And then basically it kind of results in him finding his inspiration again through his series of pool photos, which is probably what he's most known for. The, uh, the California pool paintings. So it's kind of the period in just before, just leading up to him making these iconic photos that would kind of go on to define his legacy. And I believe one of those was one of the sold for one of the highest amounts at auction, like ever for a Ridiculous. painting. Ridiculous. The whole art market 90, is a scam. $90 million or something. But I love the paintings. I mean, they're great pop art paintings. And this film is very much like a, po- a relic of pop art cinema. It does remind me of kind of the cinematic experiments that Andy Warhol was doing around the same time. Yeah, it's got a really cool vibe to it. Uh, Hockney himself is an interesting kind of character. He definitely like just kind of mumbles and shuffles his way a lot through this. I honestly couldn't, I had to turn on the subtitles sometimes just cause like, usually I don't have a problem with like British accents, but just the way like, <laughs> okay, I don't understand I your know, accent. Some of the, it's just the way these characters were like mumbling a lot. It was just like really hard to like understand them sometimes. But, um, I don't know. I just, I really love films like this. Um, even though I didn't like, I'm not a Hockney aficionado by any means. And like, I didn't get everything right away because I didn't have a huge background on him, but it's just like a really kind of immersive hypnotic work that just puts you into this guy's life. Even if it is slightly fictionalized, it just kind of throws you into his world. It's weird because you're watching it and you're like, wait, is this supposed to be a fictional film? Like it's shot like a fictional film, but then it's the real people. And sometimes you can feel that, you know, real conversation 
um, kind of yeah. air around things, but then it's shot like a movie. So that kind of contrast is really interesting when you're watching it, even though it isn't as dramatically compelling as a fictional movie would be. Like you said, Andy Warhol experiment, that's essentially a word for kind of unengaged <laughs> and that you have to bring yourself to the material. Yeah, I agree. You, it really depends on what you're coming into it with. And I think this, if you're, if you're on this kind of film's wavelength, you're going to get a lot out of it. If you're just kind of going into it, not really knowing or caring much about Hockney or just like anything about like the 60s, 70s kind of art world scene, it, yeah, it might not do much for you. Like it is, it is a fairly dry film at moments. And yeah, a lot of it does feel like just a fly on the wall documentary. Um, but I don't know. I just, I'm just a sucker for these kind of movies, especially these docu-fiction hybrids. I just find them really fascinating. And it's it's a beautiful Blu-ray. Like, it has been out on DVD before, but never looked that great on the previous DVD. So they have done, like, a brand new restoration on it. Um, I mean, it was shot on, like, film in the 70s. So, I mean, it's not, like, the most stunning-looking film you're ever going to see. But it definitely has a look to it, that, and it looks crisper than I'm sure it ever has before. Um, and, it yeah, it's just really cool. It also comes with some new features, too. It comes with some films that he, David Hockney, was also involved in. He was also involved in a short documentary prior to this, which has gotten some notice. And then there was another film, too. So it comes with both of those shorts on it. Um, and, yeah, and it's got really cool packaging. It just, like... It's just like a release that, again, like this is just totally in my wheelhouse. So it's one of those things that like I'm not sure I would recommend generally to just anybody. But for, you know, adventurous cinema goers, I would say definitely pick this up. Kind of like how I felt about Duet for Cannibals last week. Everything that Mark just said, I agree with. The good thing about a Metrograph Lied is that once you've like explored one or two films, you can assume what the other ones are going to be like as well. Exactly. Yeah, I think you really, now that they've released like four or five titles now, I think you really kind of get the sense of where Yeah, what were the other ones? It was so Hyenas, Duet for Cannibals, this one, Um, and there was another one. They did Downtown 81, the Basquiat Downtown 81, yeah. I think that was their first one, and that's another great film uh, that also also has the same kind of spirit of like it's sort of like a docu-fiction hybrid that takes place in like the art world in the 80s it features like a real artist so yeah they have a a sense that they're going for they also did one more so they did a french documentary that was more recent uh le competition which i think we were talking about it was about Ugh. french film school no but, thank uh, you yeah so moving on, Kino's also putting out The Queen, a very famous 1968 documentary about pre-Stonewall drag culture. Yeah, this is, again, I mean, we've talked about Paris is Burning months ago when that came out and, you know, talking about how that was kind of like, you know, the start of like drag culture on film. Well, it wasn't actually really the start of drag culture on film because this is very much a precursor to Paris is Burning and a lot of the... Um, real drag queens in Paris is Burning kind of descended from like the characters in The Queen and sort of like those groups and everything. Um, I haven't seen this one yet, but it's another one that's been like unavailable for years and years. And it's finally it got a bit of a, a theatrical. I think it got a bit of a theatrical run just before things shut down and then it was kind of playing virtual cinemas. But here it is finally. So again, for fans of drag culture out there, again, drag is just bigger than ever these days through things like RuPaul's Drag Race. This is kind of like something to something to watch if you want like a real like primer about where drag culture really started and we also have a box set being released by kino so many kino films this week we never stop talking about kino here i I know that's why they should give us our own little sub sub label give (laughs) us a job kino (laughs) please i would love somebody to go through all of our podcasts though and count up the amount of times we say the word Kino. It must be in like the hundreds of thousands. Of yes, <laughs> probably like a hundred times per episode. We should be saying their full name, Kino Lorber. Kino Lorber Studio Classics. We have an Audie Murphy box set. And if for people that don't know, Audie Murphy has a really interesting uh, backstory is that he was like one of the most, I don't know, did he receive the most medals um, during World War II? Uh, and I don't know. I think he had, like, one of the highest kill counts of anybody. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That's Whoa. one of the things that he was most famous for. And, like, he even made a movie about his own life where he played himself. Oh, wow. And he was a guy that near the end of his life, like, he suffered from really bad um, 
combat shock or shell shock. Is there a more polite way to say that? Or like a non-PTSD, uh, sure. yeah, post-traumatic stress PTSD, yeah. yeah. And uh, so he made a bunch of Westerns. And in some of them, he's really good. Like there's some really good ones in this one, like uh, this box set, which is three film, super cheap. Uh, compared to most of their box sets that are coming out. Uh, like, um, No Name on a Bullet is a great movie where he plays an assassin who shows up in town and he's so well-known that everybody gets paranoid and starts, like, killing each other and doing bad stuff in an attempt to get ahead of whatever he's going to do, even though he never admits what he's going to do. He doesn't say anybody's name, but just his presence there puts everybody on edge and starts to, like, self-destruct the town. Oh, nice. That sounds... I really like that premise. And the duel at Silver Creek and Ride a Crooked Trail, I don't remember what those premises are, but I'm sure they're good. You know in Inglorious Bastards, that, like, fake movie with the German in it? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's kind of, like, based on Audie Murphy. Oh, interesting. In that, like... That's the kind of person that okay. he was. Yeah, I can't say I know. Like, I obviously know his name, and his stuff always does well around here, but I I mean, you know, my ignorance on Westerns and, and the like, I just don't know much about he his He starred in John Huston's famous uh, The Red Badge of Courage, famous because it was cut up by the studio and shorn of, like, an hour. Uh, there's a really good book about it called Lillian Ross's Picture. And, uh, yeah, it's really good. If people want to know more about John Huston or how films were made back then, I would highly recommend checking it and out. You're right. This box set is like very cheap compared to the other um, actor box sets they've been putting out lately. It's it's only like 25 bucks or so. It's for even like cheaper than the Western box set, the Western classics box set that they put out. Yeah, most of them go between 35 and 40 dollars or 45 even. Uh, but this one, I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, you picked this up. Are there less special features than usual? No, nope, there's commentaries on all their movies like most Kino box sets have now. Interesting. So. I don't know why it's so cheap. Maybe the masters already existed. I mean, they don't strike new masters for any of these box no. sets. So. I mean, let's get serious. None of these box sets should be that expensive anyway. So. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. <laughs> they really shouldn't. <laughs> if Mill Creek can put out a box yeah, set. Yeah, for... come on. If I can get girls, guns, and G-strings for $10, like, let's Wait, get Wait, is that serious. still in print? Can you still get that DVD? It is. It is. Wait, so I could get all of those and... <laughs> <laughs> Andy Sedaris movies, and it's pretty much all of them in Girls, Guns, and G script. It's basically all of them, except for like his early, like pre Malibu Beach. For stuff. the price of one Blu-ray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we shouldn't say that to the loyal listeners here, because uh, I mean, you're still getting more Andy I'm sorry, Sedaris Kino. films. We're we're not trying to dissuade people from buying Kino. I don't here. believe that Kino releases that Andy Sedaris. I think those Blu-rays are Mill Creek Blu-rays. They are Mill Creek Blu-rays. Actually, Kino does did release his early stuff though, like. Uh, Seven. Oh, that's and right. And something yeah. else, I think, too. But yeah. Uh, do you think Kino's going to buy Mill Creek? <laughs> they will also become Kino. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I don't know who owns Mill. I'd love to know how Mill Creek operates, too. What are, what are their. Very shadily, like? it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think they worry so much about rights, you know? No, like not that. that often, I don't think. And probably because they pump so much stuff out. Don't they own, like, a famous catalog, though? Because they got the, like, Miramax stuff, didn't they? Mm, no, that was, um, that was Echo Bridge, which just which really oh, which then Bridge, went over yeah. to Lionsgate but no Mill Creek actually had all like the touchstone Hollywood pictures Disney stuff right until Kino had. picked it up from them so so Pool of London is also being released by Kino Kino again <laughs> this is a film about jewel thieves it's directed by the man who made Dead of Night one of the most famous anthology films yep. of all time Basil Dearden people love this guy oh people love Basil Dearden yeah if they're old and they're British that's like Bay Street video. Yeah, Kino's mm. been going hard on the Basil Dearden stuff lately. They put out a few of his films recently. Speaking of companies that I like, The Film Detective is putting out a new special edition, which they've been doing lately. First, there was Ega, then Fist of Fear, <laughs> Touch of Death, featuring yours truly, and then The Sin of Nora Moran, which came out of nowhere. They announced it like a month ago. They're like, it's coming That's out. That's usually what happens with film detective titles. I've, even with Ega, I remember they kind of announced that, and then it was like coming out in like two weeks, you know? So The Sin of Nora Moran, uh, coincidentally, I watched like a month ago when I was looking at like Poverty Row films, and this is a famous one because it's pre-code. It's directed by Phil Goldstone, who was a famous producer who did White Zombie and Vampire Bat, and it's notable for having a like last year at Marion Bad style feel to it, where it's like someone is telling a story. And it's all these like layered flashbacks. But like, at one point, a character like looks into the camera and is like, I know I'm in a story and there's nothing that I can do to get out of this. And it's all about how like a woman kind of sacrifices herself for a shitty man that she likes. And it was famously like a really expensive production. It flopped and it kind of killed Phil Goldstone's uh, directorial career. And 
for the longest time, it always just looked like shit. Just like washed out, dupey, kind of like, you know, poverty row, public domain transfers. And I think it was like the Museum of Modern Art did a remaster of it, like the nitrate of it. Yeah. And what's funny about it is the guy who owns the rights, and I think he owned probably the master print, was uh, Sam Sherman, the guy who produced all of Al Adamson's movies. <laughs> because he's Beautiful. famously a super big movie fan, and that's why in all those Al Adamson pictures, there's all like these old washed up stars. And like the star of uh, The Sin of Nora Moran is a woman named Zita Joanne, who's most famous for appearing in The Mummy and The Mummy's Hand, like the original Boris Karloff ones. Then she kind of stopped making movies. But Sam Sherman got a print of Sin of Nora Moran and he convinced her to like come and talk at a screening like in the 70s and they became friends. And she shows up for one shot like scene in Raiders of the Living Dead, a film that Sam Sherman directed. He took another movie and like 80% of it is his footage. But it's really funny that she's in that uh, that picture and he's all over this release. He does like a 20 minute featurette where he narrates it. The liner notes are by him. So yeah, I would definitely recommend this film. Yeah, this is loaded. I really like these new film detective ones. It comes in a nice black Blu-ray case too, which it looks real spiffy on the show. It's what I've been saying they should do is like, just do like simple special features. They still won't do commentaries though. I don't know why they won't. I don't won't. know, yeah. Like there's a market for it. I don't know why they won't get that through their it's heads. Like, and it's so cheap to do as well. Like someone can just do it and you know, it's not... Uh, is there like something that like there was a legal issue with a commentary and like somebody heard about it scared people because i don't feel that's probably an issue anymore like the times of um what is it blair witch 2 book of shadows commentary where the director is like this movie sucks they took it out of my hands and they re-edited yeah. it i don't think anybody really cares about that kind of stuff anymore right but you know what i think they do because i was listening to the commentary track on a blu-ray recently bought a shout factory called the breed apart and it's nathaniel thompson is interviewing philip it's, is it not Morris? He directed The Howling 2 and The Howling um, 3. Yeah, Philip uh, Mora. Yeah, Philip Mora. Philip Mora, yeah. And he's talking very energetically, and then they'll go silent for 10 to 15 minutes. So oh, you I know hate that. Multiple <laughs> times. Like five or six, seven times. So you know they like, he said something that they're like, we have to cut this out. It's like, oh, who cares, man? <laughs> like, did anybody ever get sued from a commentary I mean, track? it must have happened. I'm sure it's happened. Uh, I'm, yeah, okay. But podcasts exist. Like, the, like, you know, lawsuits could pop out of that as well. Well, in, in any case, Film Detective, it's great that they're putting these out. Because, yeah, for the longest time, they were just kind of like a public domain company that was putting out, like, you know, remastered DVDs, as they would say, but they weren't really remastered. Yeah. I think they were doing new scans. Like, maybe they just got a print, and then they were putting that out without any color correction or anything like that. So, I mean, honestly, I don't really care. That's what Agfa does. They don't remaster the prints that they scan. So. Some of their DVDs were absolute garbage, though. Like, I remember they have, like, like our DVD of... They put out a DVD of, like, Messiah of Evil, right? Um, which was not, like, the Code Red... Like, Code Red put out the definitive version of that in widescreen and everything. But our rental, our shoddy rental copy is, like, the film detective version. And it's a horrible... It's full screen. It's washed out. It looks terrible. And they, but they even bill it as remastered on the front. It's, you know, but. Shameless. Well, you know that Code Red did all that and they didn't actually have the rights because nobody knows who owns I know. the rights to that film. went out of print so fast, you know. But it came back. I just saw it recently at like, oh, maybe RoninFlix.com has it. Maybe. I need to get a Blu ray of that. I've been hunting for one. Oh, yeah. I got it used somewhere. <sighs> I need to snag one of those. I love uh, Messiah of Evil. Me too, People haven't yeah. seen it. So good. I showed it at like. I think one in the morning at uh, the 24-hour horror movie nice. marathon That's I did. That's the perfect time for it, too. I know. It was exactly like when people are kind of delirious and they don't really know what's going on. You can present these beautiful images and like this Lovecraftian story. Oh, oh totally. Definitely one of the most underrated 70s horror movies. So moving on to new stuff. The most exciting films of the week. Yeah. I don't think I've seen one of these. Nope, I have not. Uh, we have His Dark Material, season one. Was this a book series you ever yeah, read? Yeah, uh, no, I never read this, but I I had friends that were obsessed with this series, and I remember a friend of mine in particular who was obsessed was uh, when The Golden Compass came out, that film, which was initially was supposed to be like the start of a big movie franchise like lord of the rings or something until it like bombed at the box office he was so excited for it like went to see it like opening night and everything i went with him and it was just like 
So boring. Do you know that was directed by Chris White, or is that Wheats, uh, who directed American Pie, who I find very charming because he wrote a letter to the Flophouse uh, years and years ago where how much he loved the show and he was having so many laughs and then he got, uh-oh, a Twilight episode. Uh... <laughs> and he's like, because he directed, I think, the second Twilight movie. And when asked about it, he's like, you know why I did it? Money. That's why I did it. And he recently showed up on one of their episodes to like co-host. Is he the one that acted in Chuck and Buck or is that the other white white brother? I don't know. Anyways, whoever that was is funny in that movie too. Uh, And so this is the new BBC miniseries. People say it's very, I guess, fateful. I hear it's, yeah, I hear it's better. Like obviously fans of the series were really disappointed in the Golden Compass movie when that came out. So I think this is, from what I hear, the more faithful adaptation the fans have been waiting for. We also have Jack Ryan season two for your CIA dad in your life. Oh man, dads love Jack Ryan. This thing sells like hotcakes. No, thank you. Yeah, I think I'm I'm okay with, (laughs) I've had my fill of Jack Ryan. Oh, Jim for The Office. This is exactly where I thought you would go. Since when did he become an action man, by the uh, way? A little film called 13 Hours. 13 Hours. <laughs> the Benghazi movie. <laughs> uh, that movie's boring. All right, moving on. Uh, we have... I want it to be fun. I want it to be crazy. I know, I know. We, Michael Bay's not fun anymore. No, he's not. Oh, that's not true, because after the Benghazi movie, didn't he make Terminator... Terminator. Transformers... Four, which is the best Transformers movie. <laughs> uh, still only ever seen the first Terrible. one. Terrible. We have Law yeah. and Order SVU Season 21. <laughs> Do you watch? Yeah, I don't think you... I've ever seen an episode of Law and Order. I'm not even joking. No, really? I didn't really watch much of the original Law and Order, but SVU I watched a ton of growing I up. I would cause... walk through the room when like uh, my stepmom would be watching it. Oh, uh, okay. It yeah. like a real stepmom show to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it was just always on TV. And I don't know. I mean, I always thought it was like the superior law and order just because of how trashy it was like it was really unafraid to get like melodramatic and in your face the like obviously chris maloney is like a psychopath in it sometimes <laughs> in a good in a good way wait which is the one that ice t is in uh that's the original law and oh, order, okay. I believe. yeah he came into that this one's with obviously chris maloney and mariska hargitay although chris maloney isn't even on the show anymore i don't think i think it's just her yeah uh bd wong is also like the psychiatrist the psychiatrist the criminal psychiatrist, and he's great. He every episode he had a scene where he's just like stroking his brow, you know, like inc- you know, um, interrogating some suspect. Like. Have you ever seen the David Wayne movie? Uh, they came together. No, I've never actually oh, seen that. I heard a, it was funny. Chris though. Maloney's so funny in it. Yeah, Law and Order. Do you sell DVDs of this? Yeah, this thing sells like crazy. I mean, the original Law and Order. We keep the entire series of the original Law and Order because it always sells. Um, Wait, how many seasons are there? Uh, Twenty or something of the original. Is it complete? Like, no, is it it's done? Just, Did, it, like, a bomb go Yeah, off? no, it ended. The original Law and Order is over. Um, SVU's still ongoing. Obviously, this is the new season. And then, um, yeah, it always sells well. We always bring them in every time one comes out. We also so. have Swallow being released. Oh, people love this movie, but I know somebody who doesn't. Mark Hansen. Yeah, this movie really just didn't do anything for me. Like, uh, I was excited to see it um, when it came out, but... It just felt like Todd Haynes' is safe, but not as interesting or not as, like, sensitively done. It just, you know, obviously the premise, I'm sure everybody knows, is about a woman, a, a domestic housewife, basically, who just starts swallowing dangerous objects just because. <laughs> Mark's like, I don't like metaphors or, you know, trauma. No, I, I like that, but it is just painfully obvious, like, right from the first five minutes why she's doing this. Like... You're introduced to this character. She's in a suffocating marriage with a rich guy, and she always has to hang out with his obnoxious rich parents. She has no friends of her own. She has no no job. She has nothing to do. Like she, she's basically just like a suffocated housewife with nothing, nobody, nothing around her to do. And you're like, okay, well, that's why she's swallowing objects. Like there's no. There's no, like, cathartic sort of, like... There's no, like, real psychological insight in it to so me. So there's no scene at the end where, like, the music swells and she poops it all yeah, out? Yeah, no, I know. Well, she poops it out. It's not... Uh, it's... <laughs> but it's not cathartic. She's not like... Oh. I think it's just... Yeah, I know, right? It's not, like, safe to me. Like, Safe is a film I really, really love. And you can tell this film's influenced by Safe, even in the way it looks. Like, the way he shoots the house and everything. Um, but Safe really has a lot more to say I to me. I thought that it was directed by a woman. No, and then when I saw it was not. a dude, I'm like, no, thank you. Well, that's you. the other thing, too, is like, yeah, I mean, it's not 
like offensive necessarily, but I just also get the sense that this guy, like, what does he know about this situation either, right? Like, what does Todd Haynes know about the fair situation? Enough. No, safe. fair enough. But I feel like he gives Julianne Moore a lot of room to play with that character and to make it her own. Whereas the actress in this, Haley Bennett, who I don't usually mind, she's kind of been around for a while now in kind of indie films and popping up in supporting roles here and there. Um, she just isn't given much to work with on a script level and she doesn't really bring much to it she just kind of wanders through the film with like a blank stare on her face which is always like a pet peeve of mine and i don't know it like looks really nice it's like but it's just one of those movies that like is kind of like airless and just doesn't really have much going on to me but i don't know people really like it i i think people get off on just like the shock factor of it <laughs> they get off on it they're like yeah it's like a serbian film man Ugh. but i think that's what the director is counting on too is that people are just going to be so taken with the fact that she's swallowing thumbtacks and shit like that that like you know they're not really gonna like think too much about like what's what's being said or not said so so we also have dirt music being released uh by samuel goldwind in the 2019 film and i love to see that it was directed by the guy who did buffalo soldiers and the informers you know this guy what commitment that he's still making right? movies it's like you haven't made one good one yet you know what i like buffalo soldiers i like buffalo soldiers yeah, it's not very yeah, good. I don't know. it feels very much like a pale kind of snatch imitation like post guy richie style i guess so. i don't know and I, I don't like guy richie at all but something about buffalo soldiers i kind of liked when it came out ah oh, but the informers that's like a career oh ender. god yeah i saw that and i i i was a big brett easton ellis fan i'd read the book i was like really oh, you were oh brett yeah ellis i love brett easton ellis who did what what teenager didn't grow up reading Brett Easton Ellis, honestly? But I sure love the um, Rules of Attraction movie. Me too, me too. No, I do. But I mean, Less Than Zero was a very important book for me growing up. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The Informers, that was a terrible movie. And definitely, you would think would kill this guy's career. Gregor Jordan is his name, by the way, in case you have... Gregor had... Jordan. But he's back with a new movie about... Uh, a woman in a loveless marriage and there's a passionate love affair and oh uh, this is what made me laugh it stars Garrett Hedlund I know I know well nobody liked this movie it got terrible reviews and I don't know yeah so but here it is it's it's out I don't know I mean this guy Gregor Jordan is Australian I believe he directed a film with Heath Ledger in Australia back in the 90s Two Hands Ned Kelly wasn't it oh yeah I think he did that too but he did Two Hands which is like a crime movie with Heath Ledger which kind of was like the introduction of Heath Ledger as like a cinematic talent or I always whatever. think of this but... guy was another British director that I find his movies not that good and he made so many like Lucky Number 11 and Push oh Paul, Paul McGuigan yeah McGuigan yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I dislike his movies yeah. so much so bad. Oh, I hated Lucky Number Seven. <laughs> I hate that movie. Ugh, <laughs> uh, what's a twist that you're like? Well, I know what this twist is. This is the first five minutes. They have to sit through two hours. Oh man, having flashbacks to seeing that on opening. All night. right, so moving on, we have Lost Transmissions, a dramatic movie starring Simon Pegg as an acclaimed music producer who goes off his medication for schizophrenia, and his friends chase him through the LA music scene. Uh, I, that sounds like a wacky comedy, but uh, then he just commits himself to a psychiatric hospital and Juno Temple, I think, is the woman that uh, they start a relationship <laughs> with, which, considering Juno Temple, you would think she would be the more uh, unstable one based on her movie roles. Poor Juno Temple, though. I really like Juno Temple. It seems like she always gets the worst roles. She never gets she never gets a break, I feel. She always gets, like, the showy roles. That's like, oh, like her in Magic Magic. Yeah, I feel like she always plays, like, prostitutes and strippers, though, too, and it's like, can't you give this girl a role that's Where's the like, Juno Temple like romantic comedy? Her name is right there. It's made for I've romantic really comedy. I've always liked her though. I've always thought she was really funny but I just feel like she gets there's a really great movie actually with her where she does play a stripper but it's like a really great film uh, Afternoon Delight with her and Catherine Hahn that's really excellent that I would say. I feel like I Imogen Poots came around and they're like sorry we have a, a new person with a wacky name that we're gonna cast in movies. No I think you're right. I think you're exactly right on that. <laughs> there was a year where every film I look starred Imogen and poots and i was like oh my god i just love saying the name uh so moving on we have house of hummingbird this is a south korean movie a, a young coming of age story which yes. mark hates uh, but i hear this is fantastic I, I have not seen this but it's been getting rave reviews it's been playing a lot of these virtual cinema things uh, and yeah i don't know i hear really really great things so if you're a fan of korean cinema check this out even though i hate coming of age movies uh, so now I, i'm gonna add them to the list coming of age 
uh, westerns musicals. <laughs> westerns so that's musicals. the trilogy right now. And tell and television. And yeah, all yeah. television and streaming. <laughs> and all television except for reality TV. We also yeah. have Ride Your Wave, which just came out. I didn't even know this existed. It's a new film from the director of Mind Games, an amazing anime. If people haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, this one's about a surf-loving college student who just moved to a seaside town. Sounds good! Yeah, I uh, hear really great things. Um, you know what, I'm gonna check this one out, because this is something that would actually interest me. Mind Games is, like, under the wire, and I guess thanks to G-Kids, they started putting out all those movies, so... Yeah, and it's nice they finally put out Mind Games after it being unavailable here for, like, a decade or more. Uh, right? we also have Capital of the 21st Century, which is a film adaptation of the French e- economist Thomas Pike... Piketty's groundbreaking global bestseller of the same name. Oh, finally, I can watch this movie so I don't have to crack open the book that's on my shelf. (laughs) Exactly, right? Ah, financial documentaries, eh? Uh, you know, capital, capitalism, it's bad and it should be broken and dismantled. There you go, I made a documentary for you. Yeah, I'm sure this documentary gives you many more reasons why capitalism is bad. We have Exit Plan, a new movie starring... I can't say his name. Nikolai, Nikolai Kosterwaldo, star of I've seen this Game movie. of Thrones and Headhunters. This is like a Headhunters ripoff? Uh, no, this is actually a really boring movie, though. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no! I mean, it's got a decent premise. It's about a guy, basically, who got... It's about assisted suicide. So this guy, he's got... He finds out he's got, like, a brain tumor or something. So instead of, you know, telling his poor wife, who just, like, has nothing to do in this, but it's played by Tuva Novotny, um, he decides to just disappear and go to this, like, secretive euthanasia clinic in the in the mountains. It's basically, which kind of is, like, a cure for wellness meets, like, the lobster or something in terms of, like, the production there, design like, of it. Is like, magic realist? No, uh, not really. Or... Basically, it just turns out that, surprise, surprise, this place is sinister and hey if you want to change your mind and don't want to die anymore well too bad you're gonna die anyway so oh i thought it was gonna be like an actual like realist movie no about... it's a thriller it's a dumb uh, okay it's a dumb thriller it's from the director i can't remember his name it's the director who made uh, when animals dream a few years ago which was kind of like a let the right one in type ripoff but like where the girl turns into a werewolf well i guess it's like a ginger snaps type ripoff where you know <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. This All right, boring. Moving boring. on. Yeah, it's it's not good. We have The Road to Mother, this week's World War II film. It's not, actually. This isn't World War what? II. No, this is a Kazakhstan film. No. The Road to Mother. When the Soviets imposed new ways of collective farming and permanent settlements on a region of nomadic dwellers, young Ilias is separated from his mother. Through decades of war... <laughs> there is There could be some World War II in there. Where mother and son persevere in their effort to be reunited. Yes. Well, this was Kazakhstan's official uh, nominee for the Academy Awards like four years ago. That was not not uh, not picked. So it's always funny to me when they use that as like, this was Kazakhstan's official submission to the Academy Awards, but it never actually was nominated for anything. So... But, I mean, there's not many Kazakh fam- films out there, so... No, that's true. We also have The Resistance Fighter. Here we there go. We go. World War II World War uh, But the Polish Resistance. <laughs> we have An Act of Defiance. Uh, this is a film about the apartheid in, in South Africa in 1963. And the legal counsel that, you know, served in the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's all I know about that. A bougie kind of, like, historical film about... South Africa from I think it's from a pretty white perspective though so I, I don't know. You know it's good when it was released in 2017 making <laughs> it DVD now. And it was originally called Bram Fisher but now they've changed it to a generic title like an act of defiance. <laughs> Bram Fisher's Dracula. Yeah right. <laughs> so we also have The Mover aka Tev Nax. World War II film. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Another World War II film, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, someone... Uh, He's trying to save the Jews, uh, I think, from... That's that's all I got. Listen, World War II, still lots of stories to tell, Filmmakers right? Filmmakers cannot get enough of World War II. You would think that after, like, Showa, a 12-hour documentary that, like, makes you have to imagine what's happening to make it have more impact because there's been so much material up to then showing the events, you know, all the society would be like, that's enough, we got it, like, this is it. Nope. Because it's the only good war that makes older people feel better of, like, people rising up against something that is decided to be evil. And that's the thing, right, that really, I feel like we've probably talked about this before, but with World War II movies, it just is such a safe 
topic in some ways because it does allow, yes, generally older people to think like, oh, that was a horrible thing that happened in the past. Good thing that's not happening anymore, even though it's happening all around us all the time. Like, where's the where's the um dramatic film about like the border crossing exactly, and stuff right? like that that had the same attention as World War II I films. Know. It's not happening it's not anytime happening, soon. No. So we also have Redemption. Uh, and this is an Israeli movie. Yeah, this movie. is a more feel-good type movie. I th- oh, actually, no, it's feel-bad because I think it's about a guy who used to be in a rock band whose daughter, who has to, like, care for his daughter now, who has, like, a terminal illness. But he has to make her feel happy about it. What was something. the name of that movie that it was, like, the bet, the, like best feel bad movie and it was about like a country couple and they had like a bad relationship and then like oh, sun passes away uh, did you it's broken, broken something circle breakdown. breakdown that's what it was right yeah oh my god now that is the most depressing movie of all time the dear zachary of fictional movies so yeah i would recommend that one if you want another feel bad movie i haven't seen redemption why do they call it redemption though <laughs> yeah we have so many movies i know we have so many movies in our database called redemption now it's ridiculous well its initial title its original title is gula in hebrew i'm totally mangling that um so i don't know if that strictly translates to redemption or they've just picked a new generic uh, english title who knows So we also have uh, the soul collector a south african horror film that's being released by shout didn't know much about it it's been selling surprisingly well since we got it in so i guess there are people that know about this but usually i see these films play at like you know toronto after dark or something like that but i don't know we're I know. We Where has this film been, though? I, I don't know. Never yeah. heard of it, but the fact that it's South African, that's novel. We don't get many South African movies that are released in this wide way, so especially commercial ones. Well, except for An Act of Defiance, a.k.a. Bram Fisher, which we just shit all over. <laughs> oh, but, that's you know. right. But Wait, this... is there any, like, South African action films? You know what's always interesting? to go to libraries... And they have DVDs that, like, Bay Street doesn't get. And, I, like, who are their suppliers? Yeah, I like, don't they have know. Nigerian films. They have Hindi films. They're, like, all on DVD. Yeah, and it's I'm, like, crazy. Where do they get them? Maybe they use Amazon. Because I know there's a lot of Hindi films that are available uh, through Amazon because the North American distributor just sells through Amazon and, like, nothing else. So maybe they just get them off Amazon and then use them there or something. But, but I've seen, like, Mexican films, yeah, Filipino I'm not sure. movies. Like, I mean, we get a lot here, too, but I don't know. You know, like, On the Job? the uh, Filipino crime film that came out ages ago. There's a Filipino release as a commentary in English by the director that wasn't on the North American release. And they have it at the library? At the library, yeah, they had it. The Filipino release. Now, I have to say, honestly, our biggest competition these days is probably the library more than anything else. (laughs) Yeah, you can rent movies for free. I know. People don't want to pay for rentals when they can get them from the library. But you also have to be on wait lists of like 100 people sometimes. So, oh, yeah. It takes yeah. like months. But what's good is when you go and browse and you can find stuff and you're like, I've never heard of this before. That's where I always pick the stuff up. I mean, you guys get 90% of these movies I've never heard of. So, I mean. Yeah, we, I mean, we get a lot of stuff here. We, we do have a lot of suppliers. We have access to a lot of stuff. Just not the stuff that I want. I know, exactly. There's always stuff that people want that we can't get. What is the so. thing that you get asked about the most that people are like, can I have this? And you're like, we don't have access to that. Probably the Ronin Flick stuff that we've talked about, but also not so much any, well, not anymore because they don't exist, but Twilight Time, definitely. We got like people wanted Twilight Time so bad when they were at their like height, when they were like releasing like those really nice limited editions of big movies. Oh, I was hoping there'd be like some kind of like art film that everybody's always asking for that you're like, we can't get it. There probably are. There are one or two I know that come and they like for some reason there is a DVD, a North American DVD that we can't get our hands on for some reason. But uh, I would say Bollywood films, though, too, that we do get asked about certain Bollywood films here and there. And it's just because. I don't know what it is with this North American distributor. They just, we have no way to get in touch with them. Like, I, I, I will know. tell you why. It's because they go everything straight to streaming. I think they've made it a streaming only kind of thing. And DVDs and Blu-rays are a very like boutique thing that they don't touch that much. Because like Amazon Prime has so many Bollywood films. Right. There's actually yeah. a streaming channel. Speaking of, we're all recommending uh, Eros One is only right. Indian films. 
So a lot of stuff goes directly to that. Or like I said, Amazon and Netflix. Yeah. No, Eros Entertainment or whatever was definitely a label that I knew about because I would look up these titles for people and they'd be on Amazon under like Eros, but you could only get them through there. So there's I was looking at it recently right before COVID hit, but there's like a music and DVD uh, store that sells only Indian stuff like in the east end of Toronto. I should go visit, see if they're still open. Yeah, I know. Please let me know. Well, it's like going into Chinatown and there's only like one place that still sells non-bootleg blu-rays yeah Uh, it's like in a basement and it's like how have you guys what else are you guys selling i know i love that places like that still exist all right well that's it for this week any announcements mark not really things are still operating kind of status quo around here monday to saturdays 10 to 8 um but look out because we are gonna have some big releases over the next couple weeks that we'll be talking about on this podcast, especially some Criterion box sets that we've hinted at, but, you know. Camera! <laughs> lots of big Arrow and Criterion stuff coming out in August, so stay tuned to the Bay Street Video Podcast because we'll be covering all Yeah, tell all your friends. It. Spread your word on social media. We need more listeners. We need Kino. We need uh, Criterion Arrow to listen to yeah, us. Yeah, we need Kino to know who we are so we can get jobs. I have never been sponsored on any podcast I've ever done. I would love to be like, let's take a break for Casper Mattresses. It's okay. I'm sure the, the big wigs at Kino are discussing it as we speak. They're having... Oh, in like a boardroom? All the heads of all the different, you know, labels, all the floors. They're... Touchstone, uh, Mill Creek, they're there because they're actually owned by Kino. Yeah, these two guys, they're, they're really onto something Nobody here. else is doing it. Nobody else would be crazy enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, we never thought anybody would keep up with all the <laughs> yeah, releases. Madness. We they they're close to finding the pattern. We must destroy them to open the hell pit. That's why they release certain movies on certain days. And then we were never heard from again. This is the last Bay Street video. Well, podcast. so until next week, because we'll keep doing this. No one can stop us. Nobody. My name is Justin Clue. And I'm Mark Hanson. Keep on buying. And keep on renting. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.